Welcome to All My Children Wear Fur Coats with Peggy Hoyt. Our goal is to keep loved pets in loving homes by educating pet parents about the importance of ensuring every pet has a forever home. For more information about creating a legacy for your pet or to listen to archive shows, visit AnimalCareTrustUSA.org or LegacyForYourPet.com. Join your host, author, estate planning attorney, and animal advocate, Peggy Hoyt. Hello, pet lovers. Welcome to All My Children Wear Fur Coats. I'm your host, Peggy Hoyt. This show is brought to you by the law offices of Hoyt and Brian, where we create estate plans for pets and their people. Also brought to you by Animal Care Trust USA, a not-for-profit organization dedicated to keeping loved pets in loving homes. We educate pet parents about the importance of using a pet trust when planning for their loved pets. Today, I have the absolute privilege of introducing you to our special guest. Her name is Stephanie Perkins. She's a director at Tallahassee Memorial Healthcare here in Tallahassee, Florida. And I want to welcome you to the show, Stephanie. Thanks, Peggy. I'm super excited. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, um, since we love to talk about animals on this show, um, nothing better than talking about um, something that you're doing, and that has to do with animal therapy. So tell us um, a little bit about yourself and then tell us how you got involved with animal therapy. Oh gosh, well, I actually got started. I'll just start at the beginning. I got started in 2001 when I adopted a dog from the shelter and she was a busy breed, an Australian shepherd. And I thought, oh my gosh, I need something for this dog to do and I want to do something with her. And I saw an article in the newspaper about animal therapy and we got involved as volunteers. And Shortly thereafter, they needed a coordinator, and I'm pretty sure no one else wanted the job, but so I got it, luckily uh-huh. for me, and I was doing that part-time for, gosh, 15 or 16 years until I came on full-time in 2016 as the director. Wow, that is really exciting because that just goes to show that if you're passionate about something, you can actually turn it into a career. Absolutely. I have a geology degree, so it couldn't be further from the animal field. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Okay, so tell us a little bit more about this dog that got you started, this Australian Shepherd. Oh, she was wonderful. She was two and a half years old and just perfect from the moment we got her. She really loved people, and I thought, you know, she, she needs something to give back to the community. People love to pet animals, and I just love interacting with my animals and watching other people get joy from that as well. Well, and uh, I guess it was very fortuitous for both of you that the day you visited the shelter that she was there. And what was her name? Kenya. Kenya. Okay. Uh And did she come with that name or did you give her that name? No, we gave her that name. She was an owner surrender for, I guess she had a, a ton of bad behaviors at her previous home, but she was perfect for us. Just goes to show you, get the, get the right peg into the right hole and it all works out perfectly. Right. So Kenya reminds me of a border collie that I adopted once upon a time because that's also a very busy breed. And uh, that was the very first dog that I actually got involved with in animal therapy as well. And she was involved in one of those programs where the kids read to the dogs. Right. Do you do that? We do. That's one of our sub-programs. Okay. Awesome. Well, um, tell us a little bit more about TMH and why they do the animal therapy. 
So as you probably know, animal therapy is a rapidly growing field and it involves using trained animals to help people recover from or maybe better cope with health, health issues like um, cancer, heart disease, mental health disabilities. And the way it's done is it's a guided interaction between a trained animal and a person. And the aim is to help minimize anxiety, stress, and depression, all of which you know, can happen in a hospital setting or anywhere in the community, really. And it can also offer a boost in self-confidence and improve social skills. You know, lots of different benefits that the hospital sees. And um, they wanted us to start visiting back in 2005. We were actually affiliated with the Area Agency on Aging for North Florida originally, serving the senior population. And we started visiting with TMH in 2005, and they saw such a benefit from visiting their patients here that they took us on as a program in 2011. That's incredible. So I think sometimes people think of therapy dogs just in the context of maybe um, service dogs or um, programs for children, but it's really a broad scale programs for everybody of all ages. Absolutely. We serve the entire community top to bottom, all different demographics. Okay, so I want you to tell us if you can think of anything off the top of your head, just some of the kind of the heartwarming stories that stick out for you. Oh, gosh, I'm not the best storyteller about these, but um, let me think. My best story is I was working with my Cavalier King Charles Spaniel Starla, and we were working in counseling sessions at a local child advocacy center. And we were working with a child who had experienced trauma and we were doing art sessions and he wanted her to be part of his art session as well. So while he was painting her, not the actual dog, but a painting of her, um, he was talking about his trauma. And we came to a point where he had to say some things that he felt uncomfortable saying in front of her. So he asked me to close her ears because he didn't want to upset her. Oh, that's sweet. He, so he didn't want her to have to hear what had happened. Exactly. And he would like to go under the table with her and talk about his trauma while he was snuggling with her. It was very, very sweet and very touching to me. That was probably the most meaningful experiences I've had with animal therapy. Yeah, I can I can even hear in your voice as you're remembering <laughs> that. Um, so animal therapy is really exciting because it's a great way to do something you love for people that need help. Tell us how many active teams the Tallahassee Memorial Animal Therapy group or division, I don't know what you call yourselves, um, has? We're an actual clinical department now. Wow. We have 200 teams. Yeah. 200 teams. That is a lot of people and dogs to manage. It is. And we have other species other than dogs as well. We have five different species that are certified right now. So we have a lot of dogs. You know, that's pretty typical of animal therapy programs. But we also have cats, bunnies, parrots, and horses. We have dwarf mini horses and a standard size horse. And actually, one of the dwarf minis is the world's second smallest horse. So that's pretty cool. That is cool. And we had an alpaca in the program, but he passed away in March. We just found out. Oh, so yeah. I am a huge horse lover. So I think it's very cool that horses are identified as service animals, but also in the therapy world. So tell us how an interaction with one of the mini horses might go. Okay, with the minis, it's a little bit different because they're super duper small. They're dwarf minis, so they're smaller than most labs. And people really like to brush them, so they don't use them for things like mobility or balance. They use them mainly for tactile interaction. 
and just that connection that you have with an animal, just like you would a dog, you know, petting and talking to them and just enjoying them being close by. That is cool. And of um, maybe not everybody knows this, but kind of the difference between dogs and horses is that one is a prey animal, the horse, whereas the dog falls into more of the predator category. So relationships between humans and dogs is more of a predator-predator relationship. And with horses, it's more of a predator-prey relationship. So it's always interesting that horses are as willing to engage in a relationship with us as they are. Right. And they're so empathic. It's, it's amazing. They are. And in fact, they probably are some of the most empathic animals on the planet, as well as intuitive. I am frequently known for saying that horses can actually read your mind. I've, I believe that. I've seen it happen. Definitely. Um, I always think it's funny when somebody says to me, if they are coming to see my horses for the first time, they'll say, horses know that I'm afraid of them. And I go, yeah, absolutely they do, because you put that picture in your mind, and then they know that. Right. And funny thing, I'm, I'm scared of horses. <laughs> <laughs> not the minis. I'm not scared of the minis because they're so small, they can't do too much damage. But the larger horse definitely is intimidating to me. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. But even those little minis, I remember when my sister adopted one and uh, he came to her farm the first day and I just happened to be there and he was full of spit and vinegar, um, trying to kick everybody and bite everybody. Um, he has since mellowed considerably, but uh, you put him in a pasture with a group of larger horses and uh, he's definitely the boss. Ours are super small and super cute and so nice with people. So I haven't had any negative experiences with the minis. Well, that's good. So tell me how an interaction with a parrot might go. The parrots are super interesting because they're so delicate and so fragile that our handlers have to be super careful with them. And people think, oh, you can't pet them or you can't hold them. But we have one named Rocky. She is, I think I'm going to get, probably get this wrong, but I think she's 27 years old this year. And she is an umbrella cockatoo. But she loves to go to other people. So she'll step up on their arm. She'll snuggle in their hair. She loves long hair. So she'll snuggle up behind that. And she's just a lovely, lovely creature to interact with. But people really... Um, bond with her just like they do with the other animals just you can't do it as tactilely I guess it's not um you can't touch them as roughly or pet them as much as you can the dogs but you can still connect and they look at you with those beautiful little eyes it's wonderful that is true they do have a way of looking at you and I have never personally owned a bird and so I always appreciate interaction opportunities with birds, but I can just see how fun it would be to have a, uh, a cockatoo like Rocky snuggling into your neck or into your hair and um, what a great experience that would be for somebody. I think one of the coolest things is watching her and her handler interact because they have such a long relationship. You know, they've been together since she was a, a baby bird that just how well they know each other and how they function together is very, very cool to see. And I think a lot of people like just watching that. I bet they do. Um, okay, so tell us about the cats, because we don't always see cats in therapy roles. Um, but of course, they're great therapists. They are. We actually have a lot of requests for cats, but we have very few cats in the program, because as most people know, uh, people don't take their cats out and socialize them like they do their dogs. So 
cats tend to not be as accustomed to travel or new environments. So again, we don't have as many. We have three in the program right now, and they're all lovely, lovely creatures, but very, very different. So they all come with different personalities, different coats, and we have one that rides in a stroller. She has a laundry basket that sits inside the stroller, and she just rolls around the hospital visiting people, happy as a lark. We have two new ones coming in. One is a younger cat, and he also is in a stroller, but he just lays out, has his little arm laying over the edge of it, totally relaxed. And again, more people are allergic to them, so we have to be a little more careful about where they go, but highly, highly popular and wonderful little creatures. Of course, of course. And then bunnies, who doesn't love a bunny? Right. Bunnies are so cool. They are really cool. Yeah, we have two bunnies in the program right now, and I have a large bunny that I'm thinking about testing in the spring. She's about 15 pounds, so the other two are very, very small and cute little things. One's a lop and one's a dwarf. Um, He's just an adorable little guy. They wear little costumes, but again, with bunnies, you have to be super careful about people handling them, so they stay in their stroller and people interact with them in the stroller because they're prey animals and they don't like to be picked up. Correct. That's right. They, they are really fragile too. And um, mm-hmm. I think people are maybe not aware of how fragile they are, or even a, how high maintenance they are in terms of their care requirements. Right, they are. They're not just, you know, stick outside animals. They, they have very high social requirements and health requirements as well. Absolutely. So I bet you the alpaca was quite the uh, hit when, when you had the alpaca as part of your team. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Everyone wanted to meet the alpaca. (laughs) The alpaca actually made a debut on, I think it was Live PD at the fire station here in Tallahassee. He went to visit, and he was just wildly popular. Here at TMH, we had him in the lobby for uh, animal therapy fair that we were having, and all of our staff members wanted to come down and meet him. He had one eye, so and they think he was a little bit older than they were led to to believe when they adopted him. So he unfortunately you know, passed away in March, but you know, during his short time with us, he made a huge impact. They have such beautiful faces. They do. And I recently learned that apparently they're not well suited to life in Florida. <laughs> oh, because of their heavy coats. I'm not sure about that. I think it had something to do with parasites and maybe just the, um, just the environment, you know, being subtropical. Okay. I, I can see where that would be true. I have a cousin who actually uh, raises alpacas up in Pennsylvania. And Ooh, I, yeah, I had the chance to go there a few years ago in the middle of the winter. And I got so tickled because they had little sweaters on the baby alpacas. Oh my gosh, that's adorable. <laughs> it was so cute. Um, <laughs> they they just have the, the dearest personality. So I can see where... All of these animals, the dogs, the cats, the bunnies, the parrots, the dwarf horses, the alpaca, um, that they all bring something different but special to the table as part of a therapy program. Right. So talk to us a little bit about the different types of uh, therapy programs you offer. Well, as you mentioned before, you and your dog participated in a program where children read out loud to your dog. Mm Mm-hmm. So we have that. It's called the READ program, the Reading Education Assistance Dogs program. And we have 65 teams who participate in that at local libraries and schools. And actually, um, 
We've had cats participate in that as well, so it's not just reading education assistance dogs. Mm-hmm. Then, then we have our courthouse therapy dogs program, which is right now 36 teams. So we have one of the largest in the nation and just fantastic coverage of our criminal court and our dependency court. And then we also do animal assisted therapy, which is where our teams are working hand in hand with a therapist and it's goal oriented with patients over at our rehab centers for pediatrics and adults. Oh, that's very cool. Um, Mm -hmm. I want to talk for just a couple minutes about the courthouse therapy program, because a lot of people might not be aware that um, it is possible to have dogs in a courthouse setting um, for the purpose of um, child dependency type hearings. So tell us a little bit about that. So we got started with that back in 2007. We started in criminal court, and that was for child victims or witnesses of violent offenses. It's been expanded to include adults as well. So we do criminal and dependency, and we can go into the courtroom as requested by the judge or by the victim or witness, depending on the situation. So the dog can go into the courtroom and be there to support them while they testify. So typically, what would that look like? Somebody is in the witness stand and the dog goes and sits next to them so that they have the opportunity to pet the dog while they're talking? Is that right? Not not here. That's how a lot of people do it across the United States. We're a little more conservative here because we don't want any mistrials or you know anyone to have to testify again. So the way we do it is they recess the jury, and then our team and the victim or witness will walk in. They'll be seated in the witness box. Our team will go to the back of the courthouse on or the courtroom on the same side as the jury. Then they'll bring the jury back in. The testimony will be heard. Then they'll recess the jury again, and then our team will leave, and then the victim or witness will join them out in the hallway for decompression or back at someone else's office for that. Okay, okay. So it isn't necessarily what we're thinking about from TV, perhaps. Right, yeah. We just don't want it to be prejudicial, and we don't want there to be questions of why does that person have the dog, and it just raises a lot of concern when the dog is actually up in the in the witness box with them. It's just a it's not a very um, comfortable situation for us either. We want to. We have to be close to our dogs. We like to be there in case something happens. They need us, and to advocate for them, and to have us up there as well. It just. It's very, very messy. I, I can see that. Well, in 36 teams, that's incredible. Yeah, we have wonderful, wonderful volunteers. So the dogs that go into the criminal court cases, into the courtroom, they have to be bomb-proof, super quiet be able to be there for long, long days sometimes. And then the dependency court dogs can be a little different. They can be a little more energetic. They can be more relaxed in their behavior because it's a, it's usually a waiting room situation. The families are stressed. They get to goof off and show some tricks, you know, fun stuff like that. They don't have to be so serious and calm. (laughs) Oh, that's good. Well, and is there a particular breed or breeds that you feel like are better suited to therapy type work? Nope, not at all. I've seen okay. it all. So just the disposition of the individual dog, not a uh, a breed choice. Absolutely. And the disposition of the handler matters just as much. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. And what kind of training do they have to go through in order to become one of your teams? So we first have an initial screening. That's where we bring them in. It takes 10 or 15 minutes, and we just assess them as a team for suitability for the program. So we make sure that they're okay around loud noises, a stranger touching them all over, 
um, doing basic obedience in a strange environment, those sorts of things. If they pass that, then they have eight weeks of classes, three of which are classroom um, classes for the human only, where they learn about policies and procedures, they learn more about dog body language, and they go through all of their volunteer requirements. And then we do five weeks with the dogs. We don't include the other species during that, but the five weeks with the dogs, they get to practice all of the skills that they'll have to know for the evaluation. Okay, and then there's an evaluation, like a test almost, that they have to pass. Exactly, and they have to do that every two years to make sure that they're maintaining their skill set and so we're certifying our teams every two years. And is there a specific name for that certification? No, we actually do our own in-house certification. Okay, that's interesting. Um, so let's say that somebody's listening to this and we're talking from Florida, but they're all the way out in California. Are there programs like this all around the country? Absolutely, absolutely. You can Google it. I'm pretty sure you can find it anywhere. Okay, excellent to know. Well, and I know I would be remiss if I didn't ask the question about um, what a typical therapy session looked like before March of 2020 and what it looks like now. So before March of 2020, we would actually take our animals in to visit with people and the people could touch our animals with their hands in a safe way. Um, they could interact with them. We could chat with them while they petted our animals. We could be in close contact in patient rooms. And since the pandemic, we now are doing most things virtually. All of our read program stuff is virtual through the schools. So um, I conduct my read sessions in my office. I have my dog here with me. We Zoom with the child. The child reads on the other end of the Zoom. And that's worked out brilliantly. I was shocked. We even did our, our uh, read training for our new teams virtually as well. And that worked out perfectly. Interesting, because maybe that opens the door for dogs that maybe wouldn't be great in a one-on-one -on -one environment, but do great in a Zoom environment. Exactly, and it's actually opened up some visits for some of our contact isolation patients here at the hospital. We thought, well, if we can do this for people with COVID, why can't we do it when people can't get visits because of some sort of infection? Sure, like the boy in the bubble, right? Exactly, exactly. And so we, we also have started making some in-person visits, but they're contactless and we have to maintain physical distance. So people can see the teams and talk to them, but there's no touching. It's helping our, our teams keep their skill sets up and you know, making sure that the dogs maintain um, their skills and that they're used to going out. They're not losing all of that during our waiting time. Yeah, I'm just trying to imagine how a, how a Zoom conference would go for a therapy interaction. And, and maybe for folks that don't have access, I mean, I'm spoiled, you're spoiled, we're surrounded by dogs. Yeah. Um, so it, it doesn't necessarily occur to us that not everybody has that opportunity on a daily basis. And, um, but being able to be introduced to a dog that way in a non-threatening environment and then have the opportunity to um, develop a relationship. Absolutely. And I think the coolest thing about it is, so when we're visiting normally before COVID, we had to have our dogs on leash. The dogs have to be well-behaved. They have to be perfectly groomed. You know, there's a lot of things to look at in the environment, a lot of stress for the handler as well. And with the Zoom, it's really relaxed. So I have my office. My dog does not have to be freshly washed. She can be two days off a bath as long as she's brushed and looks nice on camera. That's great. 
She doesn't have to be on leash so she can act like a normal dog. And it actually gives people in our community a chance to see what therapy dogs look like in real life so they don't see them as their perfect little robot selves walking around the hospital. They get to see them goofing around the office, playing with a toy, sleeping, you know, doing all sorts of things like that. Oh, I think that's great. And I do remember that that was one of the challenges for me in particular was making sure that my dog was perfectly groomed um, to go out for these visits because I live on a farm and uh, it's, you know, she was always outside and playing around in the dirt. Yes. <laughs> it's been so nice not doing weekly baths. <laughs> I bet. I And the dog probably appreciates that too in the long run. <laughs> Absolutely. Tell us anything else that you can think of that just uh, strikes your heart and uh, is something you would want to share with people that maybe are hearing about animal therapy programs for the first time. Oh, my gosh. If this is your first time hearing about it and you haven't experienced it, I highly encourage you to reach out to either us or some of the other groups that are doing it, at least virtually, so that you can just get a little taste and see what it's about. And if you're interested in doing it with your animal, you can go online and learn more about our program or any of the other programs across the United States. Um, they, everybody does it a little differently, but you basically just want a nice, calm, relaxed animal who enjoys meeting people. And you can do a lot for your community and yourself by volunteering. I mean, it really is very selfish of me to volunteer my time to do this when I was volunteering before because I would go home feeling probably far better than the people that I visited. Right. And now you get paid for it even better. I know. And I get to bring my dogs to work every day and they're awesome. It's so wonderful. That is a wonderful thing. I bring uh, two dogs to work every day and um, my clients totally appreciate that. And of course mm -hmm. I appreciate it as well. Um, for, for my own personal animal therapy, I have uh, Piper who's sitting actually behind me in my chair as we're speaking right now because he has to be touching me at all times. Um, so he's hogging three quarters of my chair. Um, <laughs> but I wouldn't have it any other way, right? He, right. He, he stays with me, you know, in the car when we travel. He's with me at the office. He sleeps on my pillow at night. I mean, he never, ever lets me out of his sight. He's the most devoted dog I've ever had. Um, and at five pounds, he's the perfect bodyguard. Oh, my gosh. That's so tiny. <laughs> I know. He is He is so tiny, and he looks just like a stuffed animal. Um, so people are, often are like, is that actually a dog? And I'm like, yes, <laughs> it's actually a dog. And he's a rescue. <laughs> so I want folks to know that you can rescue dogs of any breed at any time. Um, you mentioned you have a Cavalier um, King Charles. Tell us a little bit more about Starla. Oh, my gosh. I actually have seven dogs. Oh, good. Four of which are therapy dogs. One, one of them is a retired therapy dog. I have um, four Cavaliers, a Pekingese, a Lab Golden Mix, and a Lab. And we actually, as part of our therapy program, we will um, adopt career change dogs from like leader dogs for the blind or paws with a cause and place them with our volunteers who've had a loss. So they can get back to work sooner because the dogs have had their, their puppy raiser training and their great temperament you know they're just set to go for therapy work absolutely so. well and i i had the absolute pleasure to do some puppy raising um probably about 10 years ago and uh one of the dogs that was a uh 
one of my my charges. Um, his name is Pete, and he's a long-haired black lab, and he has had several uh, excellent gigs in his lifetime. And then he became a pet at my house at some point in his career. And recently he has gone to cheer up a family who lost their black lab. So he's actually doing some therapy work at the moment for a family that was heartbroken over the loss of their dog. And um, I'm going to be surprised if he wants to ever come home because he is certainly enjoying being an only dog Um, because like you, I have seven dogs and, uh, although he was one of the biggest of my dogs, he wasn't always the one that was seeking out the most attention. And, uh, so he probably didn't get all of the love he deserved, but now as an only dog, he is just loving every minute of it. That's wonderful. And I want to thank you for puppy raising because that is a, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing to give to the community. And the dogs that we've received as career change dogs for our teams, they've been fantastic and they give back so much to the community, just as well as our rescue dogs and the dogs that come from breeders. We have dogs from all over in our program, like even my personal dogs. I have some from breeders, I have some rescue dogs, and then I have my career change dogs. And they they all work wonderfully and serve different purposes. Sure. And dogs are so adaptable. That's the best part about them. Um, I will admit that, uh, puppy raising was a challenge for me because I get very attached. Um, Uh. and my first one was very, very painful to let her go. Um, despite the fact that I take a lot of pride in knowing that she's doing a wonderful service for somebody who needed her far more than I needed her. Um, but it, it was like, uh, losing a child when you have to, you know, give them up, which is how we came to get the the second puppy raising because we had that little hole we needed to fill in our heart. And, uh, and of course he, he has come and gone several times during the course of his life, but the door is always open and he is always welcome back. But in the meantime, he's off, uh, serving, um, you know, another purpose. And same with my border collie. She, uh, I found her as a stray, when I was vacationing in Ireland and I actually brought her back to the United States from Ireland and she became, she went from being a stray living on the moors, um, like a feral dog to being a love dog, um, as a pet. And then one day, one of my clients said to me, you know, we've been giving it a lot of thought and we'd like to have Fiona. And this particular family had two adult disabled um, persons in their family. And it was the perfect placement for Fiona to go on to her next job. Um, And she served that family for years and they just loved and loved and loved her. Oh, wow. That is wild. Yeah. So she went from wild dog on the moors to um, a therapy dog for a family with um, some kids that really needed that support. And she had a wonderful career and a wonderful life and even got a full uh, two page spread in a Irish magazine about dogs, about her wonderful life. Oh, that is amazing. Yeah. So dogs and cats and bunnies and parrots and horses and alpacas and all kinds of animals, they serve us in so many wonderful ways. And I'm so glad that Tallahassee Memorial um, and their animal therapy program has done so much. And and we thank you, um, Stephanie, for setting an example um, for what can be done going from volunteer to full-time professional. 
Well, that was that was the luck of the draw for me. I'm the one who really lucked out. <laughs> so for folks that want to get more information about your program, um, tell us where they can find that information. You can go on our website at tmh.org slash animal therapy, all one word, and that will take you to our information on TMH's webpage. Yes, and there's a video there that talks about what is animal therapy, and it looks like it um, stars you, and um, that's wonderful. And it looks like you are also a member of Animal Assisted Intervention International. What can you tell us a little bit about that? That is a fantastic international organization of people doing exactly what we're doing. There are a lot of therapists involved with that organization as well. So therapists who work hand-in-hand with the clients and using dogs as part of their treatment modalities. So wonderful stuff. And it's really great to connect with other people in the industry. They help set best practices. And it's just nice to have that support system out there. Definitely. And it looks like you've got a great blog on there and some books and resources and all kinds of things that folks can um, access if they want more information about um, therapy programs and, and how to get involved. Absolutely. Well, thank you. I cannot thank you enough. I hope folks will visit um, the tmh.org forward slash animal therapy site to get more information about animal therapy. And, and if you're an aspiring person that wants to get one of their animals involved. I think that there's there are no barriers to making that happen. And here at All My Children Wear Fur Coats, we appreciate every week our guests and the work that they do. And then also um, helping to spread the word about the importance of doing estate planning for your pets um, through Animal Care Trust USA, uh, one of our sponsors and certainly my heart. And you can get more information about them at Act for Pets, A-C-T, the number four pets.org. Thank you again, Stephanie. Um, my personal motto is until there are none, please adopt one. And uh, you are a shining example of that. So we appreciate that as well very much. And just thank you. Keep up the oh, good thank work. You for having, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And so we'll talk to everybody next time. And until then, happy tales. Thank you for joining us on All My Children Wear Fur Coats with your host, Peggy Hoyt. We hope you learned something valuable for the benefit of your pet. We want to keep loved pets in loving homes by educating pet parents about the importance of ensuring every pet has a forever home. Get more information about creating a legacy for your pet at AnimalCareTrustUSA.org or LegacyForYourPet.com. Buy a copy of All My Children Wear Fur Coats, How to Leave a Legacy for Your Pet on Amazon. Join our email list or make a donation. Pet professionals and advisors are invited to join our trusted advisor network. Until next time, happy tales.